0: You are listening to The Music Room with Aileen Miracle. Hi everyone, this is Aileen and welcome to episode 47 of The Music Room. Today I'm talking about three failures that I've had in my music room. I feel like Often on my blog and podcast, I'm talking about things that have gone really well, things that have been successful for me in my music room, but I thought it would be good today to talk about some failures I've had and what I learned from those failures and how I was able to turn those failures into successes. Before I start talking about those failures, just a reminder that if you haven't subscribed to the music room, you can do that by going to iTunes and subscribing there. I'm also on TuneIn and on Google Play. Also, if you haven't left a review for the Music Room, I would love it if you did that. I'm going to go ahead and read a review that I just found for the podcast. This is by Firebolt Flyer 28 and I'm not sure if it's a he or she, but they say, I've been a huge fan of Aileen Miracle for many years. I student taught under someone who is a Kodai-inspired teacher, but I was not able to start my levels right away. Mrs. Miracle's TPT store and blog really saved me my first years of teaching. This podcast is a continuation of all the wonderful things she offers music educators. She has fantastic guests, shares great classroom ideas, and offers many ideas related to productivity and life outside of the music room as well, many of which I have tried. I really can't recommend this podcast and all her materials enough. Thank you so much. That is so sweet. That just made my day to read that. If you leave a review, it helps other music educators find the podcast. So thank you so much for doing that. All right. So we are going to dive into three failures I've had in my music room. So two of these failures are more recent. And the first one I'm going to tell you is from the beginning of my career. I think this is a great topic for us to think about because kids also struggle with this as well. You know, we only want to show our best selves on social media and in school and never really want to share what didn't work for us and when something completely flopped. But that's where we grow the most is when we're able to kind of reflect on, okay, why did that not work? And then move forward from there and turn it into a success. That's really, you know, when you read about growth mindset, it's really about being able to take something that didn't work and move forward and be okay with that be okay that you weren't perfect because nobody's perfect all the time all right so my first failure i'm going to talk about was not my first failure ever i've had a lot of failures but the first failure i will talk about with this episode is my very first music program so like i said this is from the start of my career i learned a ton during my student teaching but I didn't really learn how to put together a music program because the person who was my coordinating teacher didn't really do programs. We had like one performance where we went into the community and performed this orphan ensemble, which was awesome. But I didn't have experience actually putting together like a concert or a program. So I was a little clueless when I started teaching and I was just told that I needed to have a performance. So I kind of threw something together, if I recall correctly, because this was I'm in my 21st year of teaching. So this is quite a while ago. If I remember correctly, I had like a couple grade levels I was working with, like maybe fourth and fifth grade or third and fourth grade. I don't totally remember. And I just kind of had to come up with something. So I just chose a few songs for each grade level that I thought would be okay. And I didn't have any kind of theme. I didn't understand the logistics. Like, how do you rehearse a group of 100 students or whatever for their program so that they're ready? Like no one had ever told me that. And this, of course, is before the days of like Facebook groups and Pinterest and blogs where people would share that kind of thing. So I I literally had no idea what I was doing. So the logistics weren't good. There was no theme. And worse yet, the songs were not performed well. And uh, of course, my parents were there. Because this is when I was teaching in Michigan. And soon after that, I moved to Ohio. So I think that's the only program they ever went to. And it was a disaster. And I knew it was a disaster. I knew it was going to be a disaster. And I didn't know how to stop it from being a disaster. So my parents smiled and clapped as well as everyone in the audience. But I knew they were all thinking that was horrendous. (laughs) And yeah, it's not just like how I felt. My principal actually pulled me into his office after the program, like not that that night, I think it was the next day, to tell me it was bad. So it's not just me, you know, being self-deprecating. It was not good. So I had to reflect on that, like, you know, I could sit and feel sorry for myself, which I did a little bit. But then I was like, okay, how how can this be better? So for my next program, I think this program must have been third and fourth grade, because I think the next program I did was fifth grade. So I had a theme, I decided I was going to do Caribbean music, and I think I actually wrote the script myself, but it kind of, you know, had some kind of storyline. I want to say it was about Liza because there are a couple, you know, Liza songs like Water Come in Me I, I believe we performed, and I had some kind of storyline about Liza leaving. Jamaica or something. I don't know. <laughs> it was a while ago. But at least I had like a way of kind of tying everything together. And I added some instruments. I think we had an orph arrangement going on maybe. So it, it was a little bit more cohesive because of the storyline, because the music was all kind of in that same vein. And, you know, I'm not going to say it was fantastic, but I could tell it was better. I could tell the kids enjoyed it. They had some ownership. They were able to act out the storyline. The songs were performed a little bit better. So I was moving in the right direction. And hey, my principal didn't call me into his office after that one. So that's good. (laughs) And then over time, I figured out how to handle the logistics of, you know, rehearsals beforehand and lining kids up before that rehearsal. So I, I knew which kids should be standing on what riser and all that kind of thing. And I Figured out, you know, what do I need? You know, it's like planning an event. What are all the specifics that I need in order for this to be a success? Not just they can perform well, but microphone, risers, CD, all that kind of thing. And I actually, over time, I put together a checklist of things that I needed for a program to be successful. And I actually have that for free in my TPT store, which I will link to in the show notes. And I'm actually turning this podcast episode into a blog post. You can either go to my most recent blog post, if you're listening to this pretty quickly after I am posting it, or you can go to my blog at mrsmiraclesmusicroom.com and then click on podcast and then episode 47. And then you'll find not just the podcast episode, but in kind a fleshed out blog post as well that will have a link to that checklist. So I put together a checklist that had all the logistics and that was helpful. But during my Kodai training, I learned how to teach students to sing well. And I also learned a ton of folk songs, which really helped me, you know, figure out how to tie together everything cohesively. And I also took a children's literature class during my Kodai training, which was so awesome. I loved it so much. And that really started my passion for putting together programs that use literature and themes. So I do have several blog posts that are tied together with a children's book that I've done successfully in the music room. So I will link to those blog posts as well. So overall, what I learned is that thinking through logistics is important and a theme or storyline helps to tie everything together. And then, like I said, with my Kodai training, I was able to learn how to teach singing well and performing well. And, you know, just experience also helped as well. So that was failure number one in my very first music program. The next two failures are more recent. So failure number two is trying to do too much in one lesson on the day of an observation. So I was observed last year by my assistant principal, and I wanted to do something like that I thought would be really impressive. So I had just started to do differentiated centers in my music room. So the idea of differentiated centers is that instead of just, you know, having four centers that the students are rotating to, I would have six centers and they could actually choose which centers to go to. But some of those centers would be differentiated. And what I mean by that is instead of having, everybody plays these rhythm patterns on non-pitch percussion. Some students would play the level one patterns, which were a little bit easier. Some would play level two and some would play level three. And I had it identified with colors, So I didn't tell student you're at a level one. I just said, you play the blue patterns. You know, if you get a blue slip of paper, you play the blue patterns. If you get a pink slip of paper, you play the pink patterns and so on. So I had a few of the centers that were differentiated, which is a great idea. Like in theory, That's a great idea. But what happened was she came to observe me on the day that she was scheduled to observe me. And five minutes into the lesson, she was pulled out because of some situation. So I knew that it was going to be rescheduled. And (laughs) later that week, we had a two hour delay, which means that all of my classes are squished into 30 minutes instead of 50 minutes. This was also the day of a program. So on the day of a program, when I had 30 minutes instead of 50 minutes, she came to observe another class. This class was also the most challenging class in the school at the time. And I had 30 minutes with them to do something kind of big and expansive instead of 50 minutes. So yeah, it was not great. Kids were really off task. I had one student who had just moved into the class who had some emotional issues. So I was trying to work with him to get him to participate at all. And because I only had 30 minutes instead of 50 minutes, I kind of rushed through the explanation of what they were doing with the colors and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it just I just felt like yeah that, that did not go the way that I thought it was going to go. It was too much. The kids were a little bit confused about what to do because I didn't have enough time with them. And yeah, I was a little bit disappointed after that. So what I should have done knowing that it was a 30-minute lesson, I could have just done a different lesson instead of trying to impress her with these differentiated centers. (laughs) Or what I have come to do with the differentiated centers, I'm still doing differentiated centers every now and then, but instead of assigning them beforehand. So the idea of assigning them beforehand is like, I would do a pre-test in the lesson before to see like where they were at with their Understanding, I was actually doing melodic centers for Ray. So I did a pre test to see how well they could, like, orally identify melodic patterns with Do, Re, Mi, So, and La. And then I assigned them their color, which, you know, just handing out the cards, that in and of itself was a little bit time consuming. And then, like I said, trying to explain all six centers and only having 30 minutes, it was too much. So I could have done that centers lesson, but maybe taken out one of the centers. And only done like four or five centers instead of six. And I could have had them self-differentiate, which this, like I said, that's actually what I've been doing lately is instead of me telling them which level center to go to, I explain the three levels at those differentiated centers. But I tell them, you know, if you want to just start off with level one and then kind of graduate through the levels or if you know you are totally ready for a challenge go right away to the pink center and that way they have the autonomy to choose themselves instead of me telling them and it also takes out the, the passing out of the cards and gives them a little bit more freedom so yeah that's what I should have done so what I learned is to do what's best for your students instead of trying to impress your administrator <laughs> So yeah, I I have simplified that process a little bit and they still am pretty much doing the same thing. I'm just letting them choose instead of me choosing for them. And if I were to be observed again on a day of a delay, I would simplify. (laughs) All right. So moving on to failure number three, which actually just happened two days ago. I will call this a folk dance failure. All right. So I have been teaching the waves of Tori dance and I will put a video of the waves of Tori. It's actually the same video that I've been using with my students to teach it. So I will link to it so you can see it. So I've been teaching the waves of Tori dance and I started off by teaching it simplified. So simplified, it's pretty easy. They're in a long way set. They go in four out four, they switch sides in four out four, switch sides again. And then the top pair sachets down sachets back up and then peel the banana. That's the easy way to do Waves of Tori. So I taught that and it was good. But then I showed them a video of how it's actually supposed to go, which is much more complicated, at least at the end of the dance. So they go in for out four, and instead of just switching sides, one side raises their arms like a wave and the other side goes through those arms. And that part is not that hard to teach. That was fine. What's confusing at the end is after they peel the banana, they do this whole thing called dip and dive, which I don't, I'm not even sure I can explain it all that well. It's like the pair at the end of the long way set goes under the arms of the pair next to them and then over and then under and then over and then under and then over. And it looks really cool. It looks like waves. So <laughs> I had one class that I was going to teach the, the real way too because we are getting ready for a fourth grade program and and at first I thought you know what that's so complicated like maybe I'll just do the part where you know they have to go under the arms in the first part of the dance but I won't add the dip and dive because that's kind of confusing but I had this one class where I showed it to them and they were really comfortable doing the simplified version so I showed them the more complicated version and they're like oh yeah this is so cool can we try this and they were so excited that I was like Yeah, yeah, we could try this in the next lesson. We'll try this. So on Friday, this is when I taught it. I earlier in the day, I watched the video again so that I could be ready to teach it. And I thought, yeah, I understand how to teach it. The top pair goes under and then over and then under and then over. I got this. I should preface all this by saying that I struggle a little bit with physical tasks. Like when things are very clear then I'm fine. Most folk dances are go in, go out, circle to the left, circle to the right. I'm good at that. And I was in tap dance and clogging for years. So that to me works for my brain. I totally get that. But like jazz dance was something that was always an enigma to me. I never took jazz dance, but I just knew looking at people who were doing jazz that I would not be very good at it because it's a little bit more abstract. You know, it's not always very clear. Like first you do this, then you do this, then you do this. It's a little bit little bit more abstract. So I thought I knew how to teach this dance, but then I didn't. (laughs) I realized, I no, no, Elaine, you don't know how to teach this. So the kids came in, we reviewed the first part of the dance. I taught the, you know, go through the arms, that was fine. But then I had the people at the bottom of the set, go under and then over under and then over and they were getting that but then (laughs) I realized I didn't exactly understand what everybody else was supposed to do and which direction they were supposed to go because they were all everybody goes over and under but I realized oh wait there's a whole chunk of this that I missed it wasn't clear from looking at the video to me so I said okay let's stop we're going to watch the video again and see if we can figure this out so we did and again, I thought, I think I get it. I think I get it. So we st- I start teaching it again. <laughs> and it was a flop. They were looking at me like, Mrs. Miracle, I don't get this. And I was like, yeah, I don't either. So, <laughs> but then I had a couple students that were like, oh, wait, no, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. Well, then they started taking over and I was like, all right, I'm just going to let them, if they can figure it out, because I obviously couldn't figure it out, I'm going to let them do it. So I did have a few too many cooks in the kitchen, but. I did have a student who said to me almost immediately, Mrs. Miracle, every other pair goes this way and then the other pairs go the other way. And I was like, oh, okay." And then I got distracted by another kid who thought they understood how to do it. And then that didn't work. So we went back to her idea and tried that out. And we were like, oh, she was right. Thank you so much. You were right. So. We eventually did. I had one set sit down while the other set tried it out. And they were like, okay, we, we got to do this. And they are kind of like talking themselves through it. First you do this. No, no, you go here. You go there. And they did it. And they just erupted into applause. They were so excited they had figured it out. So then I had the other set try it out. And then both sets tried it out. And then we tried the whole dance with both sets going at the same time doing the dip and dive. And when they got done, they... Lost it. They were so excited. They just like totally erupted in (laughs) applause. So you might be thinking, well, that doesn't sound like a failure. Well, it was on my part. It was a failure on my part, at least at first, because I didn't think through all the steps that I needed to. And if I hadn't turned to them for uh, advice, then it would have been a complete flop. And actually, I did have something planned after this like I was going to, it was time for me to actually stop with the dance and do something else according to my lesson plan. But I said to them, do you want to try it again? Like, should we, we could just scrap the other thing I was going to do with you for now. And we can give this another go and see if we can be successful. And they were like, yes, yes, we want to try it again. Okay. So we tried it again. And that's when it was a complete success. I still wish that I had had the foresight to know this is not your strength, Aileen, so you should admit that to them. And I think there is a power to being able to say to them, there are parts of teaching dance that I'm really comfortable with, but this is tricky. I'm not sure how to teach this to you. So let's watch this again and see if any of you can figure out how to teach it because it did at one point it got a little bit crazy because I had like three or four kids all kind of telling me at the same time what to do so I should have just taken one kid at a time tried out their version of how to teach it and then okay if that didn't work then move on to somebody else's that's what I should have done in hindsight but it still ended up being pretty successful but what I learned from this is that if something is hard for, for me to admit that to students And ask them if they can figure out how to teach it. So I think actually I just read about this bulletin board called an epic failure board. I'm doing some reading right now for upper elementary class that I'm taking is upper elementary music class in my district that I'm helping to lead and I'm also taking at the same time. And this book that I just finished is called Hacking Project-Based Learning, 10 Easy Steps to PBL and Inquiry in the Classroom by Ross Cooper and Aaron Murphy. And I can link to that in the show notes. But one of the ideas in the book was to have an epic failure board to help build that culture of failure being okay because, you know, project-based learning can be pretty messy. So I think I'm going to try that out. I'm thinking actually that I might make the board Before I have that class again, because then I could make a point to say to that class, you know what, fourth graders, I should have known that this teaching something really complicated with dance is not my forte. I should have handled that a little bit differently, or I wish I had done this instead. It ended up being successful anyway, and I'm so proud of you for figuring it out. But this was initially a failure on my part. So I've written that on this card here. Like I'm just going to take an index card and put it up on my Epic Failure Board, and then say if you ever feel like you have failed in music class or somewhere else, then you are welcome to write what you failed at and put it on the board so that we can celebrate our failures because so often people think if you fail that that's a really bad thing, but I've learned the most in my life from failing and then reflecting on what I could have done differently and then trying it again. And then I've been able to turn those failures into successes. So if I do that epic failure board, I will include that in the blog post, include a picture of it so you can see what it looks like. All right. So those are the three failures I've had in my music room. I have had many more than 3 failures, but those are the 3 I'm talking about today. And you know, I think it's just a good practice for us to think about how we failed and then what can we do better so that we can turn those failures into happy stories and improve our own teaching. All right. So, I'm going to talk about what I'm consuming. <music> I believe that Katie, who sometimes co-hosts the podcast with me, may have talked about the show before, but it took me a while and I heard other people talking about how great the show was, but it just took me a while to get to it. But my husband and I have been watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I believe is on Netflix. And it's awesome. I really like it. It took me a little bit to kind of get into it, but I really like it. It's funny and it has drama to it, but it's also not super intense. I've talked about this on the show before that some of the shows we're watching, like The Boys, which is a great, that's either Netflix or Amazon Prime. That's a great like superhero show, but it's also super intense. And Castle Rock is on Hulu. That's also a great show, but also really intense. So sometimes it's hard for me to watch two shows in a row of those intense shows because it's just so intense. I get like really like emotionally involved with shows and then it can be hard for me to go to sleep, you know, and I'm thinking about the show because it's been so intense. So this one like I said it still has drama, but it's a little bit more lighthearted, so it's a little bit easier to watch. So marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I think there may even be like three seasons and I'm only like three episodes into the first season. So I have a lot more to watch. But yeah, that's what I'm consuming. All right, so I hope that this has been helpful for you. Make sure to check out the blog post because like I said, I'll have all those links and I'll have the information from this podcast more in like a blog post form. Thank you so much for listening and I hope that you have a failure this week so that you can learn from it. (laughs) Uh, have a great day. Bye.